0: This is Laura looking for love, and today is all about the love of food. So when I was about 10 years old, I ate my first bowl of Japanese curry. As a Japanese American, it's strange how I never tried this dish until I was at a friend's house, whose mother was from Japan. When I took my first bite, I was in love. I thought, it tastes like beef stew, but way better. I could eat this every day. So when I got home, I asked my mom why she never made it, frustrated that she'd been depriving me all of those years, all the struggles our family faced over the generations, from the internment camps to extreme poverty to racial discrimination. What a waste that I wasn't enjoying the benefits of my culture. This awesome food. But maybe it really wasn't that I loved the curry. Maybe it was that I loved the energy of that very first bowl and that very first bite. And with all of our first experiences in this human life, if they are positive, we gravitate toward them, continually trying to recreate the moments that brought us joy. When I was growing up in the 80s and the new generation of working moms like mine, maybe 50% of our friends' moms were housewives and house mothers, and my friend's mom was one of them. She spent most of her days tending to the house, cooking every meal, and so each dish was like a work of art. When we would have sandwiches, she would cut off the crusts and cut them diagonally with the softest white bread. And once, when she didn't have time to make us an elaborate meal, she served us perfectly ripe avocado wedges interspersed with lunch meat. Something that anyone could have done, but so carefully spaced out and arranged on the plate, to me it seemed like a delicacy. You see, her sole job was to give from that kitchen. So in the tradition of her Japanese heritage, she put everything, all of her focus, into her job. She did it with care and mindfulness, and the combination resulted in a creation of love, And as a child, I could feel that energy of love. And always starving, I ate every bite. Fast forward 30 years and the foodie culture has exploded. Foods like curry and sushi are now mainstream. And there's a new creativity and pride that has emerged in food as an art form. I remember when Roy Choi first came out with his Kogi truck and started the food truck movement. Fusion cuisine had been done before, and the food truck had been done. But he shifted the energy. He took something that previously had been thought of as a negative, the food truck, the roach coach, the quick bite of low-quality food, and made it something to be desired, sought out. In fact, he owned his art so much that he didn't stay in the same place, where traditional food trucks before him would park on the same street corner, building consistency, building a customer base. He was like, I know my food is good. You all are going to come to me because I'm going where I want, and you can follow Or you can miss out. He didn't beg for business. He created and led and others followed. And this isn't to say that he's a snob or egocentric. Not at all. I actually met him once and he is a really nice and humble person. But what I mean is that he has certainty and seniority over his craft. And he has a passion and a creativity that has allowed him to pave the way for others. And the reason people flock to his truck and waited sometimes for hours, wasn't merely for the food. Yes, the food was great, but they wanted a piece of that energy. And with each bite, they were consuming a bit of inspiration, a bit of love, a bit of truth, a bit of creativity, a bit of certainty, and a bit of freedom to break with tradition, and all those things we were told could only fit in one box. We were starting to see that the spaces outside of the box were vast and limitless, Consciously, people may not have realized it, but their spirits felt it, just the way my spirit felt it when I took my first bite of homemade curry. A few months ago, I saw the documentary City of Gold about the life of the most renowned food critic in Los Angeles, Jonathan Gold. And before I saw this documentary, I didn't know too much about him, except that when he said a restaurant was good, the entire city headed toward it. He, just like Roy Choi, was able to own his art form in a way that made others believe in him, trust him. A positive review from him is basically a golden ticket. It's funny when we see one person who becomes authority on any category, like Roger Ebert was for the movies and Jonathan Gold for food. How is it that there is always just one who stands out among the rest as the most knowledgeable, when things like movies and food can be so subjective? Well, what I realized as I was watching the documentary was that, even though the focus was food, Jonathan Gold isn't really a food critic as much as he is a great storyteller. And a good storyteller has a deep understanding of people and emotions. This is not to say he doesn't know food. Jonathan Gold knows food. And we give him all the credit for that, deservedly so. But we often miss the fact that he knows people and cultures even more. And his gateway into these people and cultures is his city, Los Angeles. To me, the documentary was a love story between him and LA. It reminded me of the Sex in the City episode where Carrie Bradshaw spoke to the love she had for New York. She said, if you only get one great love, New York may just be mine. And if there is one man who loves LA the way Carrie loves New York, it's Jonathan Gold. And when you love something unconditionally, you love all of its parts. And so Jonathan Gold has fallen in love with its endless diversity of food, its hundreds of cultures, and its millions of people. And when he writes his reviews, they are really love letters. And that is how Jonathan Gold makes everyone want to eat what he's eating. Yes, people like food, but they love the way it makes them feel. Sometimes it's easier to use food to express our emotions. After all, the consumption of food is relatable to all cultures, and the use of food to communicate can pierce through language barriers. The part of the documentary that I loved the most was when Jonathan Gold read an excerpt from his book. He painted the most colorful pictures of Los Angeles, highlighting its dichotomies while accepting its often isolating subdivisions. In the excerpt, he is younger, living in an apartment in Koreatown, often smelling the food sizzling from his Korean neighbor's apartment. And as he, a natural empath and observer of life, can feel their hardship and heartache after the loss of their son to gun violence, they hardly notice him. Yet he yearns to be included, and sitting alone in his apartment says, I wish they would invite me to dinner. To Jonathan Gold, food is not just food. It's a gateway to connection and inclusion and love. And to all of us, food serves a multitude of purposes, way beyond the basic nourishment of our physical bodies. At times it serves to distract us from the stresses of our lives. We mindlessly eat junk food as we binge watch TV. At times, it serves to comfort us in our saddest and loneliest moments when we've just suffered through a breakup or death of a loved one or when our goals are just not being reached. At times, it is a mean to socialize with others, to gather over a shared meal. And at times, it's a way to feel adventurous and to share our foodie experience through social media as a way to connect through technology. But most often, we are so busy multitasking as we eat, whether talking to our company, watching a movie looking at our phones, or taking pictures, that we forget that food is not just there to distract or to comfort our bodies. It has the potential for so much more. Last year, I was invited to a community iftar in Little Tokyo, the evening meal to break the daily fast during the holy month of Ramadan. It was an event in collaboration with the Muslim American community and the Japanese American community. Not everyone at the event was observing Ramadan, but it was an opportunity to share and learn from one another. One of the men at our table asked if I was observing Ramadan, and not being Muslim, I never thought about doing so. But his question was an invitation. I said I wasn't, but he was so inviting that at that moment I made a decision, to myself, to observe it for the remainder of the month. From dawn to dusk every day, I fasted, opening up to wherever the experience would lead me. And I soon found that, not being used to depriving myself of food, I was so hungry that I started crying my first week in. I remember I was starving one day with probably four more hours to fast, and I didn't think I would be able to make it. I remembered one of the women telling me that the way she got through Ramadan was by reading the Quran, and since I didn't have a Quran, I turned to the closest thing I could think of, which was my collection of poetry books by Rumi. I was always drawn to Rumi because he spoke so well about love, so I just started reading these books I hadn't opened for probably a decade, and I read, and I read, and as I read, I started to notice my hunger disappear. And I felt so much relief that I started crying again. But this time, in joy. Because I realized that the words of Rumi filled my spirit so much that my body no longer craved food. And I wonder, in this day, when we seek food as if it is our God, if we are really trying to satisfy our souls, but just don't know how. Food is one of the greatest aspects of our human experience. We are living an abundant time for culinary options, But as we enjoy these delicacies, maybe we can also be present with the food in a way that is mindful and aware of our spirit experience. My very first iftar, when I began my fast, I found that I didn't scarf down my food like I usually do when I'm hungry. There was a calmness about my spirit, and as I ate, everything tasted better, because I was more aware and more present, and in the spirit of gratitude. So as we continue to break bread with others, or on our own, let's enjoy our food and may continue to be a great tool for our self-reflection and growth. That's all for today. I was inspired to speak about food this week because tomorrow, December 9th, I will be at one of the big foodie and holiday markets from 11 to 6 p.m. If you are in the L.A. area, I will actually be in the San Gabriel Valley in downtown Arcadia. You can find the info on my website at thebonsaibabes.com. You can get some holiday shopping done, eat some yummy food, and maybe practice some present-time mindfulness as you sample I'll have all my Foodie Wisdom products and all of my Bonsai Babes line will be on clearance, but I'll also have my new stuff with my crystal shop. And as always, I do free crystal readings with qualifying purchases. But given the magnitude of this event, I will not be doing readings in person. I will be giving vouchers instead to be redeemed online. And I will be back with a new episode next Friday. Have a good weekend.